Good morning and welcome to this assembly of the Laurel Heights Church of Christ. I want to get started right away. Have your Bible ready in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is one of several sermons delivered this year based on the 1 Corinthian epistle. Think of this as a letter from God through the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth and for our benefit today. Mostly, 1 Corinthians is remedial. And by that I mean Paul had been informed of many problems in the church. And he is providing remedies from God to write to the church. I've used the expression throughout the series this year, Corinthian problems, heavenly solutions. And today we arrive in chapter 15. Now the reading will be lengthy. But ladies and gentlemen, this is truth at the very center of our faith. It needs to be heard repeatedly. Listen, please. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles." unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified 
about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father, after destroying all rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God, I say this to your shame. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another." There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. 
for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus, it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the dust of man, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed." In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory... Through our Lord Jesus Christ, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. From this marvelous statement of truth from God, through Paul to the church at Corinth and for us, please let me make now these simple observations. The gospel of Christ is based on historical truth. Jesus was born to a virgin, as God had said in prophecy. He lived perfectly, not a single violation of the law he was under, he was taken to the cross by unbelievers. On the third day, as Scripture said, he was raised. Nobody made this up. There is no credible rebuttal. Even those who rejected him 
could not to die, could not deny these things happened. Now Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 about this history, he says, this is the truth in which we stand. This is where we stand. This is what we preach to you, Paul said to the Corinthians. When you were baptized, this is what you were responding to. This is foundational to your faith. Listen again. Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The gospel of Christ is based on this historical truth. We need to re-emphasize this today. In our religious world, religious practice is often based more on emotion than on truth. Defining truth in objective reality is unclear to many people today. Feelings and experience is placed above truth. Truth seems to be only vaguely defined and seldom embraced. In our preaching and in our teaching and in our living, we need to make it very clear. We stand on the truth that Jesus died, he was buried, but was raised from the dead, and the evidence is more than sufficient. Did you hear this? He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. I said a minute ago, there is no credible rebuttal against the resurrection of Christ. Over 500 witnesses. Paul says most of these are still alive when he wrote to the Corinthians. Courts of law, ancient and modern, have required eyewitness testimony to establish that something really happened. Here's an unusual case. Generally, it's two or three witnesses. Over 500 witnesses that Jesus was raised from the dead. One of my favorite books outside the Bible is a book by Frank Morrison. And it's called, Who Moved the Tomb? A British journalist, he set out to do painstaking, lengthy research to disprove the resurrection of Christ. Yet, as he undertook that project, he was surprised when he discovered all the evidence. He became convinced that what was reported in the New Testament was true. And so he wrote all of this in a book. And the title he chose was, Who Moved the Stone? I say again, there is no credible rebuttal against the historical fact of the resurrection of Christ. In fact, on the positive side... All evidence is Christ came forth from death, never to die again. This is the truth in which we stand. What are the consequences 
if somebody claims to believe in Christ but denies any resurrection from the dead. Did you hear this in verse 12? Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Have you ever found yourself in this kind of a situation? In a moment of emotion or under some pressure, you say something. And you take a position on some subject or you agree with some doctrine and you really didn't think and study through to a conclusion in a moment of emotion or impulse under pressure you just blurted out something and later someone shows you that what you said isn't supported by the evidence in fact you've made a statement that goes directly against your own convictions your own values. That's what Paul is doing here. That's what Paul is doing here. Paul is putting these Corinthians in that position, those who said there was no resurrection. And Paul is doing that not to win a human contest of intellect and put them down. Paul is doing that to help them see their error and to help them see the truth. You cannot deny the resurrection of the dead and still be a believer in Christ with all that belief involves. Paul does this in a very methodical way which puts obligation on these people to go back and think about what they're saying. He says, if, as some of you are saying, there is no resurrection of the dead, number one, you're serving a dead Savior. Now, that kind of approach may sound severe, but their error was severe. So Paul uses the strongest approach to get them to think about what they were saying when they said there's no resurrection. Paul said, verse 13, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. See, that's a problem. Because when these people obeyed the gospel, they confessed their allegiance to a risen Christ. And they were baptized and raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Do you see what Paul is doing? And how effective and powerful this is. Further, if you say there is no resurrection, not only is Christ dead, Paul says, our preaching means nothing. Your faith means nothing. We are liars. Your faith is futile. You are still lost in sin, and your dead brothers and sisters have utterly perished, never to appear again. And the bottom line is, we are of all men the most pitiable. I want to put it this way, without any concern that I'm overstating the matter. If Christ is not raised he is now dead. We might as well bury everything in the tomb with him. The ethics, the values, the commands and examples, and certainly the ultimate blessings and promises. If Christ is dead, what do we really have? And beyond that and to the point here, if there is no resurrection of the dead... Our dead brothers and sisters do not exist, and we have no hope. 
Now, at this point, if I'm one of those in Corinth who said there is no resurrection, I'm beginning to squirm. I'm not feeling very comfortable. My conscience is prompting me to reconsider and renounce something I've said that goes directly against the faith I say I have. If I love the truth and want to do right and grow in the faith, I'm ready to repent of my impulsive statements and stand firmly again in gospel truth. When I obeyed the gospel, I was responding to the message that Jesus died, was buried, and arose. I need to acknowledge again those historical facts and resolve to never say anything that would repudiate the facts of the gospel or reflect on the integrity of the Savior and His apostles. His resurrection is connected to our hope being raised in glory. This is already clear in what we were just discussing, that if the resurrection of Christ isn't fact, those Christians who had died in Corinth had no hope, and their loved ones had nothing to hold to. But here is the affirmation in verse 23. Each in his own order, Christ, the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to him. And this is further elaborated on from verse 50. I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and the mortal body must put on immortality. You see how all of that is connected. All of that is connected to our hope of being raised from the dead to spend eternity with God. Now, here's where it all concludes. What do we do about all this? What do we do about all this? Verse 58. Therefore... My beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I want to stress this. The chapter starts with historical truth about Jesus Christ raised from the dead. It ends with what we ought to be doing today, how we ought to be living today. The way we live today ought to reflect our absolute confidence in the truth that Jesus died, was buried, 
was raised from the dead and ascended back to the Father. Because of that truth and my response to it, I'm able to be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing my labor for the Lord here and your labor is not in vain. I tell you, this is a marvelous chapter. I want you to go home and read again. With the utmost economy of words, the apostle sets forth the main points of the gospel that he preached in Corinth and everywhere. A gospel vindicated by scripture and testimony and experience. They had received this gospel... <clears throat> then some of them said, there is no resurrection of the dead. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, used calm, inevitable, yet relentless logic to demonstrate their error. He affirmed the resurrection of Christ, and in the same chapter he affirmed the eventual resurrection of the people of Christ. Illustrating that truth, and then giving every Christian their marching orders. Abound in the work of the Lord. I want to ask you this question. And it's not about cosmetics, folks. Would you like to have a better body? There are people who come into this building every Lord's Day who struggle with pain just to walk. There are people here and people we know with bodies corrupted by cancer are weakened by chemotherapy. And every single body in this auditorium right now is aging every single one. Many of us must diet and visit the doctor and have tests and take pills and do all sorts of things to keep these natural bodies in some sort of operating condition. So my question is, would you like a better body. The faithful in Christ will have one someday. A glorious resurrected body, spiritual, not natural, yet still preserving individual identity. And as those resurrected bodies find their place around the divine throne, I can give you a guarantee about our condition there. I can't give you here. No hospital stays. No chemotherapy. No watching people age and die. No temptation. None of that. It will be all joyously centered in God in His glory, and our eternal presence with Him forever. I have one more passage I should like to read that you heard earlier. 
For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Those who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I want to encourage you, if you've never obeyed the gospel of Christ, to respond now while we stand together to sing. Jesus is tender, he comes in the old.